All right, good morning, Vine family. If you want to grab a seat. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, If you haven't met me before, my name is Michael McKittrick. I'm an elder here at the Vine Church. I also will be sent out, uh, Lord willing, spring, summer of 2019, help start a church plant on the east side of Madison from the Vine. We want to to make disciples and plant churches amongst neighbors and nations. So we're very excited to be part of that mission And excited this morning to begin a 10-week series on the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I say those words, maybe there's different reactions in this place. Maybe some of you are really excited about that. And maybe some of you are a little bit more nervous or skeptical. Maybe depending on what kind of experiences you've had with hearing about the Holy Spirit or hearing of churches. There's a lot of different ideas, different controversies about this. I know I can relate to that a bit. Uh, I grew up myself in a a Pentecostal church, and it felt like there was an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, and so I I swung for a while to functionally ignoring the Holy Spirit in my life. But there was one big problem. The Bible just wouldn't let me ignore the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if the Bible thinks the Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity. Right? One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as a staff, we actually went last February to a conference up in Minneapolis that looked at the role of the Holy Spirit. And we came back challenged and convinced that we need to grow collectively as a church body in understanding the impact and experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. After all, our vision statement says that we are to be a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches amongst neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. We can only do our mission as we're a spirit-filled family. But what does it really mean to be a spirit-filled family? What, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Our, our hope, surely, is that if people come, and maybe you're a newcomer here this morning, we hope that as you come, you don't just experience another social gathering, another just group of people hanging out, but that there's something different about our family. Something unexplainable by just the human and the natural. Something that makes you say, or other people say, surely the living God is amongst them. That's what we want. That's what we want. And so we want to do that by just opening up the Bible for 10 weeks here. And not allowing our preconceived ideas, or even our church traditions to govern us. But to open up the Bible and say, what does God's word say about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he does and how he functions in our lives? We want the Bible, God's word, to shape our thinking experience on this. And this morning we're going to start by looking at some words of Jesus. As he was about to go to the cross, he had a section in John 14 to 17 where he talks about many things with his disciples. One of them being to abide in the vine, which is where we get our church name. But another really important verse is from John 16, verse 7. And he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Helper is the word for the Holy Spirit he uses here. And maybe when you read that, you think, really, Jesus, it's better for you to go away? I mean, haven't you maybe wondered sometimes what it would be like to like have Jesus physically there in the flesh, to, to talk to him, to ask him things. And like, surely that seems better, maybe we think. And yet here's Jesus, that one we want to be with, saying, actually, it's better for you that I go away and I send the helper, the Holy Spirit. So we want to take those words seriously as a church family and ask, why? 
Why is it better that Jesus would go and send us the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at this over the whole series. But this morning we're going to look at what Jesus shares with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And we're going to see really kind of four kind of main things he says about why it's better that he sends the Holy Spirit. We'll spend more time on the first point, but we'll look at four things, four ways of the Holy Spirit's working that makes it better for us to have the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me pray and just ask for God's help as we just dig into this topic this morning. Father, to you belongs all the praise and the glory. Jesus, you too are worthy of praise, for by your blood you have ransomed a people from every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Holy Spirit, you are the one who draws us to praise the Father and the Son. And you too are fully God. So this morning as we just dig into who you are, Holy Spirit, and why it's such a gift that Jesus sent sent you to us, would you give us just open eyes to see what your word says? Would you get rid of any of the blocks we have from grasping the beautiful truth in your word? And would you help me to speak your words and only your words, Father? pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to read from John 16, uh, chapter, John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. We'll bounce around a little bit between John 14, 15, and 16, but just want to anchor us here. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Imagine with me, you are one of the first disciples of Jesus, right? You've, you've spent at least three years with him, walking with him day by day, seeing his miracles, hearing him, eating food with him. And now you're in Jerusalem, the, the pressure is rising, and Jesus suddenly is talking about how he is going to go away. And yes, he's going to prepare a place, but he's going to go away to the Father. How would you feel? Well, Jesus knows what's in his disciples' hearts, and he says, Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow. Right? There's, it's, the, it's the pain of loss. We, we probably all know that feeling, that emotion, right? When, when a good friend moves away, or you move away. When a loved one gets lost to death. That, that sense of loss, that sorrow. And the disciples were feeling that very very much in a very real way with Jesus. And yet, what's amazing, it's right here in the midst of loss that Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
Amazingly, in the midst of loss, Jesus actually says, actually, loss is the prerequisite for gain. And that seems to be the way of God's kingdom, isn't it? If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to live, you must die. If you want to be the greatest, become the humblest servant of all. Loss is the prerequisite to gain in God's kingdom. And it's the same here, Jesus is saying to them with the Spirit. I'm going to send you a helper. But who is this helper? And why would it be such a good help to them? Well, you might have noticed, maybe you have a different translation or in the footnotes, that this word is often translated different ways. Helper, advocate, counselor, comforter. And it's because this word is very rarely used in the Bible. It's, in fact, it's only used here in John 14 through 16 about the Holy Spirit, and in one other spot in, the, in John's letter of 1 John. So let's look there for a second, because I think that helps us understand what this word means. In 1 John 2, John's writing, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. It's the same word, helper, advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's saying, actually, there's another helper, another advocate, Jesus. He's the one that was the propitiation for our sins, the wrath-bearing sacrifice that we could be in God's family. He took the the wrath of God so we could be adopted. And now, as the perfectly righteous one, he is an advocate with the Father. He stands with the Father as part of God the Father's plan, saying, God, remember what I've done to make these people ours. He's standing there as almost like a legal advocate, a legal friend, a friend in the courtroom who stands up for you and secures the right relationship. And I think that's the same kind of going on here with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be our helper, the one who stands with us to secure relationship with God. So actually, if you go back to John chapter 14, the very first mention Jesus makes of the Holy Spirit in this discussion with the disciples, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. And that the, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Another helper, says Jesus, implying they had a helper before. And that's Jesus we saw from First John. He's the ultimate helper, Jesus, the ultimate advocate, the ultimate one that stands with God on our behalf. But the Holy Spirit does the same thing. He's another helper. He's another one that stands, in us, stands with us in relationship. Notice that he, he dwells with you, Jesus says to the disciples. He remains in you. It's this language of relationship, one who stands with you relationally. And while Jesus does that in heaven, the Holy Spirit does that with us here. And he says in verse 16, he will do this forever. Forever. And it makes sense then why he goes on to say the world doesn't know him. Because if the Holy Spirit is here to secure the relationship Jesus won for us, then it makes sense that only those who have relationship with God through Jesus know the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of relational connection with God and Jesus. 
In fact, this theme of relationship is so strong that Jesus even shows how it addresses one of our deep fears, doesn't it? Look at verse 18 of chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that one of our our fears as people? We, We weren't made to be alone. We weren't made to be left as orphans. And Jesus knows this for the disciples. He says, don't worry, I'm going to come back after I die. I appear to you with resurrection appearances, but I'm also leaving you the spirit, the spirit of adoption, so you're not left as orphans. You won't be alone. No, the Father and I will be connected to you through the spirit. In fact, Paul makes this very clear in the letter of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. He says, For through Jesus, we both, it's Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus, but it's also in the spirit that we have access to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're not an orphan. You're not an outsider. I'm giving you my spirit so you'll know that through Jesus' sacrifice, you are relationally connected to God the Father and God the Son through the Spirit. You're part of the family. Just think with me. When God first made humanity in the garden, it says that he dwelt with them and walked with them and talked with them. But ever since that first sin in the garden, that's been not the case. God has been distant And even in the book of Exodus, which we just finished going through, we saw that God did dwell with them in a tent, a tabernacle, and later a temple. But there was still a sense of distance. Only the priest could enter the temple. And only the high priest on one day of the year could actually come into the most holy place. God wanted to dwell with his people, but there was this sense of distance, of separation, because God is a holy God, a perfect God, and we are not. And only perfect holy, righteous people get to be in relationship with God. So there's a sense of distance, and yet God was seeking to make a way and ultimately sends Jesus, right? He's God himself walking amongst humanity in the flesh. But in humbling himself and taking on that human form, Jesus had limited himself, right? To the physical space-time realities of being human, only in one place at one time. And the prophets had said, no, one day God will send his spirit to dwell with all his people all the time. What was lost in the Garden of Eden, relationship with God, walking with him, will be restored one day through the Spirit. And the way to have access to this was actually laid out in the very first sermon on the Holy Spirit by Peter in Acts chapter 2. He says this, Repent, turn from your sin, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know close relationship with God, walking with him, you just need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus by the sign of baptism, and your sins are forgiven, you're made clean, you're made perfect, and you receive God's Spirit so you can be in relationship with God. You can walk with him daily. One of my favorite authors lately, a guy named Jack Miller, wrote this in a book. To be near God 
and to have God near us is the whole purpose of human life. And this is possible because Jesus died taking on our sin to make us clean and then he sent the Holy Spirit to connect us to him and the Father. Just think. The Holy Spirit is not just this energy or this force. He's a person, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you actually have the whole Trinity in relationship with you. Now do you see why Jesus says, it's better for me to go? So I might send the helper. If he sends the helper, we get all three. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but also we are connected to Christ and to God the Father. We have access to him. The whole triune God in relationship with us. So is it better? Yes. Is it harder? Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like it would just be easier if I could just see and talk to Jesus? As I've just been thinking about that, I've wondered, is it just because the tangible and concrete feels easier than the fuzziness of walking by faith? Isn't it easier to walk by sight? Doesn't it sometimes feel harder to walk by faith when you can't see it all, and yet God says the way of faith is better than sight? We struggle with that. Have we actually just stopped and said, God, wow, you're a holy God and I'm not. And yet, not only did you send your son to die for me, but you've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within me so I can have relationship with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. When was the last time we just stopped, woke up in the morning, and just said, wow, this is an undeserved gift, relationship with the triune God. Have we just lost sight of the joy of just fellowship with God? Maybe some of you this morning are saying, actually, I, I don't know that joy because I'm realizing I've never actually turned away from my sin and trusted in Jesus. Well, this morning, you can know the joy of fellowship with God. Peter laid it out. Just repent, turn from your sin, admit your guilt, trust in Jesus And not only will he save you, but he will give you his spirit so you have relationship with him. And that leads us to the second role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us for witness to help others come to faith. So in chapter 15 and verse 26, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bear witness about me. And this is in context of talking about persecution and opposition to the gospel. So it's a, a witness to the world. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness to Jesus. And verse 27 makes clear that part of that will be witnessing through Jesus' followers, the disciples. And that mission gets passed on to all of us. That we are called to bear witness with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Think about how encouraging this would be for Jesus' disciples. Jesus is leaving, but he's promised not to leave them as orphans, and now he promises, I also won't leave you as abandoned workers, doing the job on your own, on your own power. No, the Holy Spirit will be there with you. You might feel inadequate. You might feel like you don't have all the answers. You might feel like you don't know how to do it well. You might 
come to realize quite truly that you can't change anyone's heart. Don't worry. I'm sending someone to do that for you. It's the Holy Spirit. So look at John 16 again with me. In verses 8 to 11, right, we saw how when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be the one convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's his job to actually bring about the heart change. He's the one that will convince the world, and Jesus spells that out. He, he will convince or convict the world that it is sinful. And the world here, he just means all those who are outside of relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will convince them, you have a sin problem. And he will do this because they do not believe in Jesus. And they need to. If you don't believe in Jesus this morning, you need to. And the Holy Spirit wants you to see your sin so that you can believe in Jesus. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its righteousness. It will show the world that actually its righteousness, its supposed goodness, falls short. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. All of our righteousness, apart from God, is like filthy rags. If that's what our righteousness is like, how much more our sin. And the Holy Spirit will do this because Jesus is going to the Father. When Jesus was on earth, he could show the world that their righteousness is subpar to his. But now that he's gone, who will show the world that their supposed goodness is not enough? The Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will convict them of that. And this is good news for the disciples who they too won't see Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will use the disciples, use the church, who over and over in these chapters is called to be a people that walk in obedience to God, who are known for their love to show the world its goodness is not enough. And then furthermore, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its judgment. That actually, when you think that you don't need Jesus, your judgment, your thinking about that is off. And the proof is that the real judgment has already happened at the cross. And Jesus was raised to life showing he's innocent. The devil, the ruler of this world, was defeated. And that means that if you're not on Christ's side, if you're not saved in Christ, judgment is coming for you too. And the Holy Spirit will bring these things about. It's not my job. It's not your job. We can't help people. We can't convince them enough to believe this. But as we witness, as we share about things, the Holy Spirit takes sometimes our feeble words and actually changes hearts and minds. Have you ever been someplace and you get into a conversation about the gospel, but you've got maybe another Christian friend with you, and they're more knowledgeable They've walked the Christian life longer. They maybe just have more experience sharing the gospel with others. And you're like, man, I'm so glad they're here with me. So it's so nice to have someone here to help me, to encourage me, right? Have you ever had that feeling? Jesus wants us to know that's true every time we open our mouths to share the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit is right there with us. Taking our words. And for those God has called, planting it in their hearts. Opening blind eyes. Man, if we really believe the Holy Spirit was sent to do this, wouldn't that lead to greater boldness? Wouldn't it lead to greater faithfulness to open our mouths knowing we're not doing it alone? Wouldn't it lead to more prayer before, during, and after we're meeting with people? It's like, man, I can't change them, but the Holy Spirit can. So I've got to ask him for help. Or maybe does this expose what I've realized in the last month? 
Man, so often I open my mouth and believe nothing will change. So often I go into conversations and it feels like the hearts are so hard, the eyes are so blind, and it will never change. And I've lost faith to believe that actually God sent the Holy Spirit to do just that. And actually, I need to repent. I need to admit my lack of faith and say, God, would you help me see the goodness and the gift of your Holy Spirit who actually can do what you said he would do? Would you give me faith to lean in and depend on him? So we can't be on mission to make disciples and plant churches unless we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. So actually, are we leaning into this goodness that God has given us in the Holy Spirit? Or do we try to do mission on our own? And that leads to the third thing the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he equip and empower us for verbal witness, but he also does that for what we call our demonstration of the power of the gospel. In John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, Jesus says these amazing words, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He says, these greater works, these works that I've done and great ones, you'll be able to do when I go to the Father, which is when he's going to send the Spirit. So this is the work of the Spirit to help us do this. But what are these works? Well, all the works in John's gospel that Jesus does have one purpose, to help people trust in Jesus. So it makes sense that the works that we will do too will do the exact same thing. There will be works that draw people to trust in Jesus. But how can they be greater works than Jesus? I mean, we're definitely not greater than Jesus, right? How can these works be greater? Well, if the point of the works is to draw people to trust in Jesus, then if the work does that in a clearer or greater way, that would be a greater work. And I think that's true post the death and resurrection of Jesus, that the works we do that are meant to point people to Jesus are greater because the truth of what Jesus came to do is clearer after he actually did it than before he did it. In the same way that Jesus says that everyone who is in God's kingdom now is greater than John the Baptist because we get to point to Jesus in a way that John the Baptist only did in a shadowy way, the works that we do that draw people to faith are greater because what it means to trust in Jesus is now clearer post his resurrection. And all of these works will end up glorifying God, Jesus says. And that sparks doing good works so that the people might see our good deeds and glorify God, right? These great works, I think, we see all throughout the book of Acts. They show up as miracles of healing, but they also show up as the disciples sharing everything with one another, loving one another in ways that are outstanding to the world. All of these are great works that point to God and trusting in Jesus, And so while it seems clear that when the gospel first breaks into an area, it seems the Holy Spirit does more miraculous works, I don't think there's anything in Scripture that says that God can't do miraculous works through the Holy Spirit today in us. But let's not limit to just the miraculous. There are so many great works that God calls us to do that are meant to draw people to trust in Jesus. 
And so I've just been wrestling with when people see us as a community and see our way of loving and serving the community, the works we do, do they see just what any Madisonite could do? Or do they see something in us that's different? They go, that's not just a human way of loving. That's not just a human way of serving. It's not just a human way of welcoming. There's something different here. And we get to say, it's God's spirit at work empowering us so you can trust in Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Do we rely on the spirit? Do we invite the spirit to help us? When we wake up in the morning, do we ask spirit, spirit, empower me, equip me to live in such a way that draws people to Jesus today? That's what we need, don't we? So the Holy Spirit not only connects us to God, the Father and God, the Son, but he empowers our verbal witness, he empowers our, our greater and good works, and then last, he leads us into truth. He's called the Spirit of Truth four times in this section, and he not only leads us to see that Jesus is the truth and the way and the life, but he keeps leading us, keeps reminding us, keeps teaching us about God's truth. In chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is a beautiful verse because he's, remember, he's first talking to the original disciples and he's saying, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind everything I've said and taught. He'll lead you into that truth. And so when we read the letters of Peter, And the gospel of Mark, which Peter told Mark about so he could write it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we read the gospel of John and the letters of John and the letter of Revelation, that's the Holy Spirit at work. When we read the gospel of Matthew, the tax collector, disciple of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit who helped them remember and accurately record the teachings of Jesus so we too can know what Jesus said when we pick up our Bibles. And then John 16, verses 13 to 15, Jesus comes back to this theme and says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we see this important principle here. The Holy Spirit will always lead us back to God's truth, the truth about Jesus. He'll never contradict what he's already inspired. He'll never contradict who Jesus is or lead us away from him. In fact, verse 14 tells us that he will glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as he leads us in the truth, shines the spotlight on Jesus. Have you thought about that when you just pick up what feels like an ordinary book, just normal paper? Right, normal binding. And yet when we open it, it's not just a normal book. The Holy Spirit was at work to write this through human authors, and the Holy Spirit is at work now to help us understand it and apply it. Have you thought about what a wonderful gift that is? What a wonderful privilege that if you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit helps you as you understand God's word. 
Do you come and open your Bible with expectation that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the pages of Scripture? Or do we just come to our Bibles not expecting much? Have we forgotten the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit in understanding God's Word? Jesus says, It's better for me to go away because when I send the Holy Spirit, he will help you be in relationship, secure the relationship with the whole triune God. He will empower your verbal witness for the gospel so that actually your feeble words can maybe be used by God to change hearts. He will empower your good deeds so that actually they draw people to Jesus. And he will help you understand my words. So let me come back where we first started with the question. Do we really believe that it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit? Or let me ask the same question in a slightly different way. Do we believe we need the Holy Spirit? So I've been praying about the sermon. I've just been thinking about my life and some of you I know. And I think the danger we can have in comfortable, middle-class America so we can think we don't need the Holy Spirit. We can do it all on our own. And so we miss the joy and the beauty of actually knowing we have the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't think we need him, there's no joy in having him. So have we lost sight of the beautiful gift that God has given us in the Holy Spirit? Do we find our lives empty of the joy of fellowship with God? Maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit through his word to remind us of that amazing gift. Do we see the Holy Spirit's work and power in our lives on mission? Or again, maybe for some of you this morning, you're realizing, man, what you talked about, the Holy Spirit bringing conviction is happening to me now. Turn and trust in Jesus. I hope for all of us this first sermon just stirs up something in our hearts to say, man, I want to lean into what God's word says to experience the goodness of the Holy Spirit, not just in my life, but in our community so that we really can be a spirit-filled family, making disciples and planting churches for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that you'll just open eyes and hearts to our need to be in relationship for you, to our need for your help and power to live our lives in ways that honor you, to be able to understand your word. And you have given us the Holy Spirit to dwell with us forever, to help us in these ways. Help us not take that for granted. Help us to see just the beautiful gift it is that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Help those who have never had a relationship with you to call out to you today and find fellowship with you and joy in you and purpose in you. Father, would we believe and increasingly experience the goodness of the Holy Spirit 
dwelling amongst us. For your glory, amen.